Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. have been out through the book of Luke over the last few months, and uh, today we're going to continue with that just as we get there. Uh, on April the 25th of each year, <clears throat> we get together for Anzac Day. Uh, it's a time of remembrance, it's a time of gathering together, it's a time of uh, people, particularly service men and women, they think back to the battles they've been involved in, not only the First World War, well, well, there's no veterans left from there, but all the pre-following wars from that as well. Uh, they think back and they think back to the, lo- the mates they've lost in those wars, whether it be male or female in those situations. All sorts of memories come flooding back, particularly on that day. It's a day set aside uh, to remember. They remember embarking perhaps for war or, or landing on the battlefront and, and seeing firsthand the pain and the trauma that comes from the theatre of war and all the uh, drama that is involved with that. They also remember, though, though the joy of war being over. It's finished. And then being able to come home and be reunited with their loved ones as well. We often think back to remind ourselves of times and events gone by. Often we'll put a day aside or, or do something like that to just think back to those momentous occasions. Well, Jesus is going to do something with us today that he wants us to remember. Something he's going to do today in chapter 22 of Luke that's something he wants us to remember until he returns again. So uh, go to Luke 22 and we're going to follow on from where Esther wonderfully read for us before and we're going to pick it up in verse 14 and follow it through to verse uh, 20, 20. Verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after that eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to come now and open up your word. We ask and pray, Holy Spirit, as we reflect here on the Last Supper, the events leading up to the Last Supper and the Last Supper, where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. As we just begin to think on that today, I pray you just open up our heart afresh to refocus again on the importance of of the Last Supper, the Passover meal, the Lord's table, communion, that we would do it today in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. We ask for your help now, Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke writes here for us uh, in chapter 22 what is a very thick plot with what's happening here. He sets the scene up very clearly and builds here a lot of detail leading up to this last supper or last meal that Jesus is about to have with his disciples. Uh, Some meals carry very significant meanings attached to them, don't they? Uh, When we celebrate Christmas, how do we do that? We do it with Christmas dinner. We do it with a meal. 
uh, someone's wedding is done and we've got a wedding coming in a few weeks time and when that wedding takes place what do we celebrate after that wedding with it's a wedding breakfast it's the first meal together for a married couple uh, birthdays and anniversaries there too uh, are celebrated with some sort of meal of some type you might go to a restaurant or a cafe or you might invite lots of people to your home when we're able to do that again and you can celebrate uh, an anniversary or a birthday particularly kids I know my wife used to put on ripper birthday parties for our kids and it was always great fun to have them around to share while it was a meal but it was more party food sort of when they were a bit younger but still a meal we love the occasion uh, and the good times we have of a community talking about the shared experiences we've had in the past when we get together for these occasions. Often we'll think back to uh, such and such a day when this happened and we'll reflect upon that again. It could be something like, can you remember when mum finally got out of hospital? She was there for six long weeks. Wasn't that a great moment when she got out of hospital? Those sort of um, discussions and thoughts come around and it's a meal sort of celebrates that occasion. Well, as we think about this meal that where Jesus is going to today, here's this big idea we're going to go with, and it's this. At the Lord's table, we remember that Jesus is our Passover lamb who takes away our sin. At the Lord's table, we remember that Jesus is our Passover lamb who takes away our sin. Now, let's give some context here as we go into this. Jesus is approaching his last night on earth, and he's very much aware of this. He is about to be crucified on a Roman cross within 24 hours of having this meal. At the same time, the Pharisees, they have their own little agenda running behind the scenes. In verses 1 and 2 that Esther read for us before, during the Passover, they are planning... They are planning to kill Jesus secretly. Not, not in, they're in fear of the people because Jesus was popular at the time with the people. They didn't want to do it in the open. Secretly they wanted to do it. In verses 3 to 6 of that same chapter, Judas, one of Jesus' close disciples in the group of 12, betrays Jesus. Now we're told there that Satan enters into Judas. Judas makes himself available for evil influences to come in and possess him. Judas then meets with the Pharisees to help find a quiet location secretly where they can arrest Jesus and carry out their dirty deeds. The Pharisees can't believe their luck. They've got an insider. One of Jesus' own twelve is going to betray him. Well, This begins to set the scene behind the scene. This is all happening in the background here with everybody unaware of this except for the Pharisees, Judas and Jesus. Jesus is patently aware of what's going on. He knows exactly what is happening with the Pharisees and he knows exactly what's going to happen with Judas as well, even though he still loves Judas to the very end. Jesus knows exactly what's happening in this situation. Jerusalem, there's a massive feast going on this time, a massive feast. It's the holiest time of the year for them. It's the Passover feast that they celebrate in Israel. And the best place to celebrate Passover is Jerusalem. You can take the lambs that you need to sacrifice to be actually sacrificed at the temple and have it blessed in that way. Jerusalem swells in population probably by a few hundred thousand people. They all crowd the city because Jerusalem's the place to be for this holy week to celebrate uh, Passover. People everywhere. Isn't it ironic though when you think about that, that here are the Pharisees, supposed to be the holy men, upholding God's law and God's ways the Ten Commandments, but at the same time they're bent on their evil agenda of killing Jesus, all happening within this same week. Just very ironic as we think about what's happening there. 
Okay, I think it'd be really helpful, perhaps if we saw what the Passover meal is about, because that'll actually help us to see what Jesus is going to uh, talk about here later on in this chapter. It's a really, really big deal for the Jewish community. It is the highlight of their calendar. It is the highlight of the year. Passover for them comes out of Exodus chapter 12, where Israel is enslaved to Egypt. They've been in bondage for 400 years, and Moses is sent down there to, by God to release them out of captivity. God had brought uh, judgment upon Egypt through nine devastating plagues. And Exodus chapter 12, it leads leads up to this last plague, this last judgment upon Egypt for their refusal to let God's people go, their rebellion before God. And this tenth judgment here that God's about to bring on them is to have all the firstborn males in every family to die because they refused to do what God told them to do. God told the Israelites through Moses that they had to slaughter a lamb prior to this tenth judgment coming. And then they would take a brush, dip that brush into the blood of that lamb and paint the blood over the door frames of the house where they lived. And then as the angel of death went out to carry out God's judgment upon the rebellion of Egypt, they would see the covering of this blood over the door frames of the houses here of the Israelites. And when the angel saw the blood covering, the angel would pass over that house. Hence you get the word Passover and then no one would face God's judgment at the home because they were covered by the blood of that lamb over the door frames. If you didn't have that blood as a covering over your door, God's judgment would come upon that house. Everybody was warned about that and only those who heeded God's warning and obeyed God's warning and put the blood there were saved from that judgment. So the Israelites then were instructed to observe and remember this most incredible night with a yearly Passover at a certain time of the year to actually come back together again and to, and to remember this amazing thing that God had done. And this meal, this Passover meal that they were instructed to uh, commemorate each year constructed of a few different elements. The first one was, had to be a sacrificial lamb. They were meant to sacrifice a lamb and back then it was, if you did it at the temple, that was a, a, a greater blessing upon you. Again, that was commemorating the blood that was pasted upon the door frames to uh, cover you from God's judgment. They were also, made, uh, also told to make bread without yeast or unleavened bread. And the idea of that was uh, bread without yeast can be made quickly to remind them of the hasty exodus that they took from Egypt at that time. And the third thing they had to have in those Passover meals, they had to have bitter herbs as well. Now the bitter herbs were to remind them again of the bitterness of bondage and slavery that they had in Egypt as a nation at that particular time. It's a really big deal for Israel to celebrate the Passover. It was the pinnacle of their calendar. People would wear certain costumes and fathers, the heads of houses, would take their place at a certain point during the meal and retell that story again. So it was passed on from generation to generation to generation of God's miraculous provision for the nation of Israel to escape his judgment upon Egypt at that time. That's the Passover. Now God does nothing by chance. God's not the sort of God who just sort of throws the marbles up in the air and just, oh, gee, that's it. Oh, fancy that. They landed like that. God does nothing by chance. The Passover is not some sheer fluke of what God did. 
God has a divine purpose through all the activity of what he did in Egypt thousands of years beforehand, which we're about to see now in Jesus Christ. Let's go to that now. For 33 years, Jesus, as a good Jew, celebrated Passover. Many of those years in Nazareth and maybe sometimes in Jerusalem when the family maybe was able to get to there and celebrate Passover. For 33 years it had been like that for Jesus. This Passover though, on this night, in Luke 22, it's going to be totally different. It is going to be totally different. Jesus is about to show his disciples he is the true Passover lamb. He is the true Passover lamb. He is the fulfilment of this Passover sacrifice. Jesus is about to just do something amazing with these people. Look at what Jesus does here. Even as he sets up this Passover, you actually begin to see an indication of what's happening. In verses 7 to 13, Jesus organises ahead of time, which is very difficult to find spaces in Jerusalem, to find a place to celebrate. It is just swelling with people. Jesus ahead of time organises a room. He doesn't tell anybody where it is, so therefore Judas can't betray him to the Pharisees and their temple police to come and arrest him then. But he sends Peter and John off. He says, you'll see a man carrying a pitcher of water. Go to him and he'll take you to the room. Now you might think, why is that detail there? Men don't carry pitchers of water in Jerusalem at that particular time. Unfortunately, mainly the women were carrying the water. So for a man to carry a pitcher of water would be a very strange sight. Jesus says, go find him and he'll take you to the room. That's exactly what happens. Not forgetting here what's happening behind the scenes, which Jesus is painfully aware of. The Pharisees are out to kill him. But he's determined to have this Passover meal, putting these preparations in beforehand. Peter and John find this man carrying the pitcher of water and they follow him to the house and they say, yeah, Jesus has already arranged it. There's a house here prepared. And there he is. The other disciples arrive after dark as they prepare for this meal and they all begin to take their place. Let's pick it up now in verse 15 here, where Jesus says uh, this to them. He says this in verse 15, look with me. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. There's an earnest desire here to eat this Passover with his disciples. He's got something he wants to do here with them. Now the disciples won't get it this night. The penny won't drop. But they will look back at some point in time and they'll see exactly what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is about to demonstrate to them by telling them will become the core of the gospel for their lives forever and a day. What he's about to visibly uh, do with them. He's very heartfelt about this. He also tells them he's about to suffer. They won't get that either at that night. They'll get it in the days to come. And this is probably the fourth or fifth time that Jesus has spoken about some tremendous suffering that he's going to go through. But down the track, the lights will come on and they'll actually get this. At some point during the meal, Jesus gains their attention. And then he takes these two elements, as it were, during this meal and and to signify what they mean when they uh, see these elements. In verse 19, Jesus probably offers unleavened bread or bread without yeast. Have a look with me in verse 19. And it says there, And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
So get the picture. Jesus is in the meal here. And this is what happens. He holds up this piece of bread and said, this bread represents my broken body given for you. It signifies something. And he's probably using unleavened bread here at this time as well. And unleavened in the Bible represents sinless. So Jesus could be saying, this is my sinless body that is being broken for you. This is my sinless body, like this bread, just being torn apart, broken for you. Broken for you. That ate that bread. Probably still a bit of a mystery for these guys, what's going on here. But then Jesus says, takes a cup. And he hands this around to the disciples as this second element here of representation for this Passover meal. Verse 20, he says this, and likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So they were still living at that particular time under the old covenant, the Old Testament here of law and animal sacrifice for the atoning of their sin. That was the old covenant that they were under. But now Jesus is initiating a new covenant, a new agreement that Jesus would be the fulfilment of the law for us on our behalf. And he would also be the final sacrifice that atones for all sin, past, present and future. Jesus is saying his blood will be the covering on our lives for our sin to satisfy God's holiness and justice as he holds out this cup. Just two simple elements, but profound in what Jesus is doing here in saying what they represent. So what is Jesus saying here or signifying through this Passover meal as he holds these elements? Well, just as they celebrated year after year the Passover lamb that protected them from God's judgment... Jesus is now saying to them, I am the ultimate fulfilment as the Passover lamb. This is my body for you. This is my blood for you. Right in the middle of this Passover lamb. God's purposes in Exodus chapter 12, thousands of years beforehand, is all pointing to one place. Jesus Christ as our Passover lamb. The blood of Christ covers us from God's judgment towards our sin. Here's how the Apostle Paul saw it in 1 Corinthians. He says this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For, really important word, that word there, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. What's Paul saying to the Corinthians there? He's saying this. Don't return to your old sinful ways, leaven. As we said before, unleavened is sinless. Don't return to your old sinful ways of leavened ways. You are a new lump. We probably don't like to be called a bit of a lump, do we? But that's what in Paul's metaphor here, you are a new lump. You're unleavened. You're sinless because of what Christ has done for you. Why or for? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's exactly how Paul saw it. He said Christ is our Passover lamb. He fulfills that for us on our behalf. So in other words, his blood has cleansed us from all sinfulness before God. So now live out your new life in the confidence that Christ gives to you as our Passover lamb in our place. Paul Paul clearly 
exactly saw Jesus fulfilling this as our Passover lamb. The Holy Spirit wants us today to see that very same thing as a deeper reality within our own hearts and minds. Jesus, our Passover lamb, is the gospel. It is the good news of what God has done for us. Jesus, the sinless lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. That's how John the Baptist saw Jesus in John chapter 1. Read that with me as well. John 1.29, he says this. John the Baptist, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he cries out, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Picture yourself there with John the Baptist as he says that. It's Jesus walking by him. Not because of anything we've done and not because of anything we could be, are we right before God? It's completely because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us that makes us right. It's not about me trying to do something to earn my way before God. It's about what Jesus has done for me and I can step into that by faith. So what Jesus tells the disciples here, it's a new covenant. It's a new agreement. It's in his blood that God now makes with humanity, with those who come to him in obedience and with faith. And for them it's all about to take place within hours of this meal on this particular night. When Jesus goes to the cross within hours to be crucified and nailed to that cross as our Passover lamb in our place as his blood gushes down that cross and covers our judgment. What is Jesus doing? He's carefully walking through this Passover meal, moment by moment with his disciples, so that he communicates something to them. He wants them to see something, something that will be indelibly etched upon their minds, something that will be a lasting impact upon who they are, something they will recollect and come back to time and time again. Like I said, they don't get it now. They don't see it in that night. They're probably thinking, Jesus, this is just a normal Passover. You're acting a bit strangely tonight, Jesus. But something's going to really click via the Holy Spirit in time to come, where they will see this meal, this Passover, like they've never seen it before. It'll become central in their lives. We still celebrate that today. Not so much a Passover meal, but the Lord's table, communion. Uh, the Church of the New Testament still celebrate. It was an ordinance they gave us to celebrate uh, until Jesus returned. Jesus said in verse 19, do this in remembrance of me. And that's precisely what the apostles did. They took that uh, very words of Jesus and went as they went to all the churches that were planted around the Mediterranean Sea or the Roman world at the time. This is one of the ordinances or sacraments or observances we have as a church. The other being baptism we have as well that we still celebrate the communion table, the Lord's table, as a visible reminder of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. Here's Paul's instructions to the Corinthian church in chapter 11. He says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after saying, after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The New Testament church which is gathering here 
gathering at the senior centre and gathering in homes and small family units and around Shepherd and many other bodies of Christ as well. This is something given to us by the apostles to celebrate together, to unite us together. And that's precisely what the communion table does, or the Lord's table does. It unites believers together. There's a common bond that we all share in the gospel. The church, people from a whole range of diverse backgrounds and walks of life, which is what the Corinthian church is here. These people come from sort of the four corners of, of life and gather together in this church. And if you read through the book of Corinthians, it's a pretty wild church. It's a whole range of people gather there, but they come around the communion table and they are united together. They're commonly bonded by Christ. You see, when we come to the communion table, we come as equals. There's no one person above another. There's no one person down on the bottom of the pack. We come to the communion table as equals. We all need a saviour. We all need to be rescued. We all need to have our sins forgiven. We all need a Passover lamb. The communion table is a beautiful place that unites us together as equals before Christ. And as we truly confess Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, through faith, we are all united together in this forgiveness that God glorious gives to, uh, gloriously gives to us through Jesus, our Passover lamb. And again, as Paul says there, it's a proclamation of the gospel. It's proclaiming the very good news of what God has done for us. Look again at verse 26. He says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, you communicate, you say something. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we do each time we celebrate the Lord's tale. And remember, we're proclaiming his death in our place. Now, the communion table is a very special place for believers who are trusting in Christ alone for salvation. That is why you'll hear us when we have a communion service to say that if you're not a believer, we welcome you to the church and we love that you're here, but we just ask you to observe what we're doing. There's a very good reason for that. Paul goes on on in chapter 11 and verse 27, he says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, so we're talking communion, in an unworthy manner, not truly trusting in Christ, not truly trusting in him alone, in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. We don't want to encourage anybody to do this in an unworthy way. You might say we're sort of fencing the table or sort of you know, putting some barriers in because we, we want people to truly come and participate in this and to know Christ as our saviour. So we take great care to glorify God around the communion table because it's very important to God. It's about his son. It's about the death he died in our place. We certainly, and we encourage people to come and confess their sins and to join us to remember together what Jesus has achieved for us And if you haven't done that today, we invite you to do that. We invite you to surrender your life to Christ, to confess your sins and to trust in him alone and nothing else. And we want you to celebrate that communion with us as we come around the Lord's table. It's really important. That's why we say those things, because we understand the, the brevity of what's taking place or the gravity of what's taking place at the Lord's table. It is a time to remember it's in celebration, But we don't want to mock the Lord at the communion table. 
Jesus tells us, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. We can do this with Jesus and actually remember what he's done in three really powerful ways. Three really powerful ways. The past. We can remember the finished work of Jesus 2,000 years ago secures my salvation. What he did 2,000 years ago has secured my salvation for now and eternity. It cannot be undone. As we faithfully trust in Christ and obey him, we are safe and secure in the finished work of Christ. It says in Colossians that the debt has been cancelled. In other words, the debt of sin has been erased from our lives. That sin is not counted against us. We can look back in the past and see what Jesus has done and it speaks into our present. We can also look in the present. I can live in the present strength that the gospel gives me as I think about the communion table, as I think about my Passover lamb. How does that take place? Well, if you're like me, you've probably got a multitude of experiences and memories that come back to haunt you. You think of all the stuff you may have been involved in. You think of all the stuff you might have looked at. You think of all the stuff you might have said that was either lies or something else. You think of all the dishonesty and the hateful things you've said. Sinful, painful things that come back and they try and crush us in guilt and condemnation. Memories are powerful things. We can't erase some of those things from our minds. And it's amazing how even when you go to bed at night, you just shut your eyes and it's like they all just start to come back sometimes. Well, in the present, we can remember what Jesus has done for us through the cross, through the communion table, as we focus on our Passover lamb. We're given the strength as we remember again what Christ has done, not to be paralysed by those memories, by those experiences. We can stand in the present in his strength and move forward in his love as we think again on the communion table, our Passover lamb, what he did for us. He said this Bread is my body broken for you. He said, this cup is my blood spilt for you. And it frees us from being paralysed by this guilt and this condemnation in the present. We may have other things in the present as well that that are right with us now, decisions we can't seem to make, an anxiety that's coming upon us and we, we feel really low, we're just not sure which direction to go with such challenging places we find ourselves in. We don't know where to turn. Even in the present, though, we can look at the communion table and remember again, despite what's happening around about me, the biggest challenge in my life, my sin problem, has been dealt with. I may not have the answer for that question, or that question, or that circumstance, or that trial, but my sin problem has been finished with Christ at the cross. And I look at the communion table, and that speaks strength into my heart there and then. The future. The communion table speaks gloriously about the future for us as well. Look at what Jesus says here in this passage. He says this in verses 15, 16. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, this is the verse you've got to see, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What are you saying, Jesus? Are you not going to eat it that night? Are you going to eat it some other time? Jesus is planning another supper. Jesus is planning another meal. 
Jesus is planning the marriage supper of the Lamb in eternity. We will sit down to another meal that will be overflowing with joy and gladness beyond our comprehension. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 19. It says this, Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Just sort of give you a little bit of hair on end when you begin to think about that. Crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. That is going to be a banquet not to be missed. That is going to be a supper that you want to be invited to. Can you imagine that meal? The communion table points us to the future. The communion table points us to eternal hope in Christ. That we will be sitting down at a banqueting table with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, past, present and future. We'll be sitting down with the apostles... We'll be sitting down with every believer from time and eternity to sit down at a banqueting table to celebrate Christ. That will be a meal and a half. That will be amazing. I look forward to that. I know there's a bunch of foodies out there. I'm not sure what food's going to be on the table. That's probably not going to be important. The fact is we are going to be celebrating with Christ and we're going to celebrate with each other not just for a meal... It'll be the world's longest lunch, or the world's longest... It'll just go on. I'm not sure how to look, but it's going to be glorious. The communion table speaks of that future hope that we've been given. Can you see what Jesus is trying to do with the communion table? He's trying to communicate here the core of the gospel into our hearts and lives. It's just not a cracker. It's just not a cup. It represents the gospel. It represents a living person who gave himself for us. And he wants us to see that today, just like he's communicating with those disciples. This is powerful. It's not the real body of Christ or the real blood of Christ that perhaps others may believe. It's not that at all. But it powerfully signifies a real body and powerfully signifies real blood that was spilled for us. Jesus wants us to see that afresh today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you this morning as we come around chapter 22 in Luke, Lord. What a glorious picture. Jesus, you set up this communion table. You set up this Passover meal with people trying to kill you in the background, with Judas betraying you, with a, a city filled and teeming with people. You've, beforehand, you plan a room. You put the preparations in place. You invite the disciples. And then, Jesus, you hold this bread and you say, this is my body broken for you. Then you pass the cup around, Jesus, and you say, this is my blood spilled for you in the new covenant. Help us today, Lord, as we begin to come now to this communion table and to celebrate that. Just the powerful image that is 
convey to us through the Last Supper, through this meal as we worship together. Please, Lord, help us to see that it helps us in the past, the present and the future, filling us with hope and faith just again as we come equally before this table, equally before Christ, equally receiving that forgiveness and being able to walk confidently forward as you with our Lord, as our Lord and Saviour. God, I thank you for that now, and I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.